Hong Kong, a city of 7 million people, has played a vital role in the world. A bustling metropolis known for its shopping malls, its iconic harbors, and martial arts films. But the city also has a hidden history of different ethnicities contributing to the growth of Hong Kong in many ways. Indian police officers, Nepali Gurkhas, and many more ethnicities have contributed to what's now known as Asia's world city. We'll be looking at four interesting stories of how ethnic minorities, as they are called, contributed then and now to the growth and development of Hong Kong. My name is Shamil Ibrahim and you will be traveling with me in my quest to find the hidden Hong Kong. Assalamu alaikum, or peace be unto you. This is a common greeting among Muslims when they greet each other. But what does that have to do with Hong Kong? It has a lot to do with Hong Kong. In fact, the city has more than 300,000 Muslims, which makes about 4.2% of the city's population. And Muslims contribute to Hong Kong as students, civil servants, businessmen, as well as journalists like me. Muslims have been part and parcel of Hong Kong's history. Their story began during the British colonial times when the British recruited them as soldiers and later as policemen to the Hong Kong police force. The first South Asians to set foot in the colony were Indians consisting of 411 Hindu, Sikh and Muslim police officers, according to Mark O'Neill's book, How South Asians Helped to Make Hong Kong. I talked to Mr. Nazir Ahmed, who served as a constable in the Royal Hong Kong Police Force in 1965 to talk about his experience during his time. My name is Nazir Ahmed. I was recruited in Pakistan as a police constable with other 47 people. Well, the 47 people came to Hong Kong in 1961, and we had a training at the police training continent for six months. Then we were sent to EUNT with all other Pakistanis who are working. What's EUNT? Emergency Unit, New Territories. First duty as a policeman. We had to work with other police, senior police officers to go on patrol, mobile car, mm -hmm. or maybe some uh, armory duties, some station guard early uh, in the start. Mm -hmm. And uh, any problem occurred in this area, so be, being an emergency unit, we had to go to that scene all together, maybe 20 person, maybe one whole platoon, mm -hmm. but to go there to control them. The people may have some trouble each other, mm -hmm. so this thing. But I worked in <coughs> Taipo, Hong Kong Island, Yulong, and Patong. Mr. Ahmad also noted the time when there was a riot in 1967 in the city. Caused by a spillover of the Cultural Revolution, a period of political chaos in China into Hong Kong, which led to the deaths of at least 50 people and the imposition of curfews. Mr. Ahmad has vivid memories of the time. Hong Kong, we were living in anti. We went to Sajak uh, Post, right. where we had a confrontation with the other side people. Mm -hmm. they, they fired at us. Mm -hmm. We have got two people, Pakistani, mm -hmm. and three Chinese dead on, on that day, yeah. 1967. About five to six or seven, maybe injured. That was most I mean, dangerous for us. In, in, inside, there was no problem. You can handle them. The Chinese people were working all together. So any problem, any right insect, we, we go and handle them. Chinese people come out, support us, we support them. Owing to the increasing number of Muslims in the army and in the police force, the British granted land to build mosques to accommodate their religious needs. I talked to Mufti Muhammad Arshad, 
the chief imam of Hong Kong's Muslim community, who heads the largest mosque in the city, to know more about the history of Muslims in Hong Kong. Next station, Chimsa Choi. Connecting station for East Chimsa Choi Station. In 1844, the Muslims, first time, they applied for a piece of land to build the mosque. And uh, then the uh, queen, uh, at that time, granted uh, the piece of land for the mosque in Central, uh, that is called the Shalisti Mosque. Uh, that mosque was, uh, the piece of land was granted in 1849. And uh, then 18, perhaps 1851, it was built the mosque. So this, and beside that, uh, uh, we see the structure of the mosque is, there is a room uh, for the travelers. So that shows there were some Muslims, uh, uh, maybe from Indonesia or Malaysia, when they travel to different parts and uh, they go for Hajj, so they stay for a few days here. So for them, some rooms were built uh, around the mosque uh, in Central, as well as here in Kulum Mosque. Since then, the city has had five official mosques granted by the British government for the Muslim soldiers, which still stand today. Two types of Muslims uh, are living here, the local Chinese Muslim and uh, the uh, non-Chinese Muslim. And in Chinese Muslim also, there are two types of Chinese Muslim. The local Chinese Muslim who were uh, belonging uh, to Hong Kong and uh, the other, the most of the Chinese Muslim, they were migrated from China to Hong Kong. Okay, among non-Chinese uh, Muslims, which uh, are given the name, the ethnic minorities, uh, the majority of them is Pakistanis. I also asked him about the current contributions of Muslims in Hong Kong. So the Muslims uh, in Hong Kong uh, were as a businessman, were as a government servant, and especially in three uh, departments. One is police, another is army, and the third is CSD, Correctional Services Department. I also talked to Khan Said Abbas, a Pakistani constable who has been working in the police force for five years, about his interest and his experience in the force. First of all, my name is Khan Said Abbas. Now I am a police constable mm-hmm. in headquarters right now. Uh, I was interested to, uh, as being a police constable because at the first time I think being a police is very cool, the uniforms and all the things interest me so much. But after that, 
I know the require for joining the police force is really, really hard. So I leveled out. Then maybe after I finish my DSC and then after also my finish my Egin diploma, I found that some of my friends, affect minority friends, also joining the police. At that time, I was shocked. Oh, how can a Pakistani can be a police constable? And after that, I joined the JPC and then the Jameson classes. Mm-hmm. Realized that we can join the police force. I'm a police constable right now, the uh, joining level. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I was in Task Force Unit, a plain clothes patrol unit. Mm-hmm. So I will do my patrol while I'm plain clothes and then to see any crime or anything else that I can do my work on. Abbas also notes that there are struggles in his job as well. Uh, it's not easy because you need to read a lot of Chinese and then read out of a lot of the laws. Like new coming laws, like uh, you see recently the COVID and then the uh, national security law, national security law, the preventions of disease law. There's so much law they're updating, and then as it's update, we need to be uh, familiar with. Khan also had suggestions to make the police force improve its communication with ethnic minorities. Uh, I will actually suggest will hire ethnic minority according to the proportions of. Uh, the race in the uh, community right there because uh, as we patrol or we have uh, received some uh, calls we need some help and then we will go there and then help ethnic minority to have their solutions and it's easier for us to have communication because sometimes there is a barrier between ethnic minority with uh, local police officers. They will at first they will see police and then they will say, "Oh, you're coming to catch me right now," and then I will not talk to you. But after that, uh, if I'm on duty at that time, yeah, my colleagues will ask me to go there to help and then to see anything I can communicate. It's better this way because uh, they won't have a bad feeling first. Zahir. A member of the Pakistani community noted that more ethnic minority police officers are recruited after the city's handover to China in 1997. Actually, they have hired more and more uh, ethnic minority after the handover because the younger generation you know, who came out, they, they, they know how they, they, they learn Chinese in schools, so they had basic Chinese better, better than the previous officers. So there were more opportunities after the handover. Despite the contributions, Muslims in the city also face challenges ranging from the lack of halal food and the lack of prayer spaces. This is a big challenge for the Muslims who are living in a remote area. Uh, no halal food available as uh, they require. But uh, the awareness about the halal food has been increased in the public and even in the business field. So many people, they are now approaching uh, to set up halal food. Like recently, the KFC, they have approached us. They are trying to get a halal certification and also Disneyland and Ocean Park, they already have obtained halal certificate from us.
and uh, you can find many hotels even some of them are five star hotels they have obtained the friendly muslim friendly uh, certificate so beside that there are many muslims they have opened their restaurant from the turkish uh, background muslims pakistanis some indians so they had uh, they have set up uh, the halal restaurant but indeed mostly the businessmen always think uh, the halal restaurant uh, he will uh, introduce at the place where many muslims are living there currently there are 70 halal establishments ranging from restaurants airline kitchens and grocery stores according to the recent statistics however most of them are concentrated in central business districts making it a challenge prayer spaces are also a problem this is the most important uh, challenge that uh, the muslim community is facing mm-hmm. actually there are five permanent mosques mm-hmm. in hong kong which are built uh, even 1960s till 60s so after that uh, no new mosque masjid new new no new mosque is added but the muslims population are increasing okay the first uh, the, uh, uh, the families are now transferring from different countries especially from pakistan to hong kong so now they have been uh, given housing from the government and a good number of muslims already have transferred to new territories but in new territories no single mosque exists so so this is the reason the people uh, through their own uh, contribution they have set up some small madrasa in rented places so at this moment there are more than three dozen madrasas exist in hong kong okay and uh, 99% are on rented places another important challenge that muslims face is the tag of terrorism and violence which is one of the greatest misconceptions that the community has had to face in the city i talked to adil malik the chairman of the muslim council of hong kong on how he handles misconceptions about muslims through his organization 2015 summer an article came out in hong kong which said that there's potential isis threat in hong kong i saw that article a few other brothers saw that article and this was one i think this is pretty much the start um of this fear mongering kind of tactic by the media coming to hong kong to possibly possibly increase islamophobia in hong kong so we wanted to tackle that head on and to a certain extent we did um initially we didn't think we were going to set up a muslim council of hong kong but we just felt that there was a massive gap within the dawa scene in hong kong in terms of the english speaking community from an intellectual perspective academic perspective alhamdulillah alhamdulillah you know we've got a number of madrasas here a lot of organizations here 
um, but we just felt that though they are very, very important and they were catering for a number of Muslim needs that were definitely being catered for, but this was something that we just thought wasn't looked at for the last 150 years that Muslims have been in Hong Kong. So we tackled that article and the article was basically, we, we wrote a letter of peace to the Hong Kong community and you can find it online, alhamdulillah. We went to university campuses and I think maybe you might remember that. Um, to date, for me personally, I would say that it's always been one of the most successful campaigns for MCHK, whereby we just told the public what Islam is all about um, and it actually eased some of the um, worries. Um, since then, so that, and that made the rise of Muslim Council of Hong Kong. Since then, you know, we've, we have appeared, alhamdulillah, on a number of media channels, um, media, whether that's newspaper, whether that's TV, um, with the main goal of just basically clearing misconceptions about Islam. However, Mr. Malik also had to face some hurdles along the way. And the other challenge, just naturally again, was whenever there was news about an attack somewhere and the Muslim is involved, that was another challenge, of course, because as we know, whether we like it or not, um, stereotyping, it's prevalent everywhere. We do it as well, but Muslims got the bad brunt of it to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, uh, I hope you realize why when I talk about street dawah, right. it's not Muslims. Right. It's not Muslims. You go out there and you see our videos on, on online, the people that come and talk to us are non-Muslims. Whether that's yeah. Chinese, Filipino, um, yeah, those are the two main ones. Um, there's a lot of people, non-Muslims, who accepted Islam yeah. by coming to our courses, by talking to us over the phone, by you know interacting with us on, on social media, uh, by coming to street dawah. Yeah. You know? So, again, and that's why I'm saying dawah is an invitation right. to certain things. We're calling people to Islam. Now, there's no force involved. There's just basically our job is just to pass the message, right. and our job is to make the the non-Muslims realize this is the true message of Islam. Right. It's not what you see in media. It's not what what certain person might do in a certain country. Mm-hmm. You know, Islam is based upon two sources: the Quran and the teaching of the Prophet peace be upon him. Right? right, and that's all we are always giving out. And again, the main thing is that we shouldn't judge a whole community by a few people, you know, and that's something, whether that's Chinese, whether that's Muslims, whoever that might be, if you don't speak to a community, um, you won't really know about that community, right? Um, and speak to the people of knowledge as well. Don't don't, don't just assume that, you know, Muslims are always just those who are little, who are, who are in Chunking Mansion, right? And Muslims in Hong Kong in all walks of life, right? Um, whether that's businessmen, whether that's teachers, lawyers, even policemen, firemen, right? There should be more, for sure. Why there's no, not, not, not so many? Language barrier. That's always been the case. That's always been the case. That language is something that's always affecting the Muslim community, the ethnic minority community, to be honest, right? But again, um, this perception that Muslims are only just those people living in Chunking, that needs to change. Um, and that will only change if you interact with people from different centers. The Muslim community has been part and parcel of building Hong Kong and deserve to be appreciated and recognized for their contributions and sacrifices in building the city from the foundations. Without them, the city would not be where it is today. And that's all for this episode. In the following episodes, we'll be revealing another interesting story of the Hidden Hong Kongers.
See you next time.